Welcome to Camera Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Abel, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers to thrive on camera and in life and to make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the word persistence. The Cambridge Dictionary offers this definition, the ability to keep doing something difficult. Persistence requires that you continue working hard despite being faced with challenges. Synonyms include endurance, grit, perseverance, stamina, tenacity, constancy, doggedness, and follow through. Here to discuss is Baker Machado. If you don't know Baker, you are in for a treat. Baker anchors Cheddar's morning program, Wake Up With Cheddar, and he appears on hyper-local News 12 networks and gas stations across America on GSTV. I can't tell you how often people mention that to me. Before joining Cheddar, Baker spent five years as a reporter for E! News in Los Angeles and covered major entertainment news stories and interviewed more A-list celebrities than he can count. He has a master's degree in broadcast journalism from the University of Colorado at Boulder and is a deeply depressed Colorado Rockies fan. <laughs> so depressed, I don't, I don't, I don't associate with them anymore. <laughs> oh, you broke up. <laughs> I broke up. We okay, broke up. well, this Thank is a safe space. <laughs> but welcome, Baker. Yes, hi, Barbara. I'm so excited to finally be on this podcast. I love this. I am ecstatic. So let's dive in. Why did you choose persistence as your word? Okay, so we, you go right for the jugular at the first question, right? right I love this. Um, <laughs> Persistence has been a word, Barbara, I think to be a talent in this industry, you have to have a lot of because, well, I actually, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll take this back. I think any time in life, if you're, you, you want to do something that is different, you have to be very persistent um, because you are going to be told over the course of your life, no, a lot in anything that you want to do. Um, and it's just a matter of how persistent are you to find that one yes, to find that one person that will say yes to you to to go on that dance and and figure out how to make this dream and goal of yours become a reality. I was ecstatic, actually, literally like, yay, when you said I want to do persistence because First of all, it hadn't been done. And two, years ago, a gentleman named Jason Flom, who's a music business executive and an incredible uh, criminal justice warrior, had had said something where he goes, you know, there's the oft-quoted luck is when opportunity meets preparation. And mm-hmm. he always said it's luck is opportunity meets preparedness with persistence. Mm-hmm. And that it's Which the persistence true. that creates the luck. And so it's like, oh, what a great topic. So, and then I wanted to deep dive because persistence requires resilience, but resilience and persistence are not the same thing. True. And you also said your mantra, which I love, is it only takes one yes. So how did you get there? It's so interesting, Barbara, because I think throughout my entire life, I was kind of always told no from the get-go. Really? Really always from the get-go. So, um, when I was um, applying, so I was a fine student in, <laughs> in school growing up. Fine. I mean, it's like, you know, you know, in my you know, mid threes. I was like, you know, I, you know, over, I had like a three, five, three, six. I wasn't like the most stellar student in school, but I was, I was, I was fine. You yeah, get enough to get into school. But when I started applying for, I would rather go out with my friends in high school. <laughs> let's just put it that way. Um, I, when I started applying for colleges, um, a lot of my colleges were telling me no, and I, I sort of had to deal with at a young age, okay, with adverse, adversity, 
Okay, you have this sort of dream. And I knew ever since I was a young kid, I wanted to be a television broadcaster. I wanted to be a host. I wanted to be on the news. I wanted to be hosting entertainment shows. I wanted to be on red carpets. I knew that literally since I was a young child. And But growing up in Colorado with a family that has no connections to the entertainment industry, you're kind of already sort of at a really big disadvantage. So... Um, I applied to go to uh, Colorado State University uh, for my undergrad, and um, I was told I could be on academic probation, but I couldn't get into the journalism school. So I did everything I possibly could to show them that they made a mistake by telling me no, and I never got into the journalism school, ever. Um, so I graduated with an undergraduate degree in communication, and I decided I would go and work at the student media um, uh, at the university. And the television school didn't have any, you know, room for me there. They, you know, had no, there was no place for me at the television studio. So I went and I started doing radio when I was in undergrad in college. Cause I was like, I'm going to find one person or one organization that will say yes to me. So after I graduated, after I won all these awards, I was national radio DJ of the year. When I was an undergrad in college, I had won all these amazing national accolades. I graduated and I was like, okay, well, I have all this radio experience. Um, this isn't really getting me to my dream of, you know, hosting a red carpet or any of that, because I kind of maybe think I need a journalism degree. So I applied for graduate schools and I was once again turned down by a ton of universities, including the one that I graduated from, the University of Colorado at Boulder. And so they said to me, look, we'll let you in on sort of a, um, you know, a trial basis. Um, but, you know, we'll see how it goes. And sure enough, I graduated, you know, incredibly, I, I, I graduated in, in two plus years from that university and I just, I was like, I'm gonna show them. I'm going to show this university that they made a mistake by not choosing me. And so every moment of my life, I've been like, I know I'm going to be told no, but I'm gonna find wherever I can, no matter how long it takes me to find that one person that will tell me yes, to prove to everybody that I deserve to be here. Um, and that my voice needs to be in the collective mix of everybody else's voices out here. Um, and it's gotten me to where I am today. You know, I, I try to become a television host. You are told no all of the time. Um, I can't tell you how many auditions I've gone on where I never got a call back, but I still kept persistently going, just looking for that one audition where I could finally be told yes. Um, and it comes, it happens, and you're going to have those moments where you absolutely feel like you've hit the bottom, but just know inside of you that like, you still haven't found that one yes uh, yet. I don't know if you've watched the Golden Globes recently, but I was so I was so moved by so many of the speeches at the Golden Globes from um, uh, from Jennifer Coolidge to the the individual who won Best Supporting Actor for Everything Everywhere All at Once, who basically had one role and then they never got a role for years and decades afterwards and. For so many people, you would just give up at that point. What makes you like want to continue to keep getting rejected after so long? Don't you just want to pick up your stuff and move on to the next thing? But persistence is what got these people to that to that stage, got them to that show, got them to to wherever they're at right now. And that's sort of like the beauty of the arc of life is how persistent you are to finally get into that final end piece. Okay, that was beautiful. Masterclass from Baker. That was really beautiful. <laughs> I want to go back to this because- yeah. That's a lot of discouragement. I mean, many of us as humans just would have packed it in and said, 
it's a message from the universe. This isn't what I'm meant to do. So somewhere deep inside, you're listening to your intuition and your heart. Did, were you getting positive reinforcement at home or is there somebody who was saying, oh, yes, you can? Absolutely. Absolutely. That makes a huge um, difference. Huge. Absolutely. I mean, my, my parents have been the greatest supporters of mine forever because I can only imagine as a parent and you're having your kids say, look, I want to be a television host, you know, and my parents were very rational, very pragmatic people, not saying this is a rational or not a pragmatic response, but they said, okay, sure. Instead of, you know, maybe being, you know, something that'd be easy, like go into finance or why don't you go be a real estate agent or do something rational and pragmatic. My parents have been always incredibly supportive of me. And I also got incredibly lucky that I, you know, found my husband who also is my biggest number one fan and supporter. And so if you surround yourself with people that also believe in you, I mean, that makes all the more difference because then you know that you're not in this game by yourself. You're, you have people that out that believe in you just as much as you do. And that continues to push you to go forward. I mean, Sheila Lee Ralph, when she won her Emmy, one of the first people she congratulated was her husband because he had stood by her through thick and thin this woman who was only getting Broadway gigs, which for, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. That is amazing. But clearly Cheryl Lee Ralph had much higher and grander aspirations. And it's taken her until she's at the age that she's at now to finally sort of reap the fruits of this incredible life that she's lived. And the first person she always thanks is her husband for standing right next to her. So I feel like having a support system is so incredibly important because look, Barbara, in auditions, I've had people say to me, you know, can you sound a little bit more straight or can you dress a different way or all these other sorts of things. And those go to completely antithetical to who you are as a person. And you have to remind yourself, no, you are great and you are beautiful just the way you are. And you need to find that one other person that thinks the exact same thing that you do. Wow, you are so spot on. Okay, one thing I wanna to add to that, that I learned along the way is actually you know, when you're deep, deep in it, or dans la mer, does the French say, is actually like for something like it's like go and look at the feedback you're getting. Mm -hmm. I spent you. You might actually have like hidden in your DMs and in your emails, really nice feedback you've gotten from people unsolicited, or just like that. Thank you. That little thing you did made my day, just to kind of keep us grounded and remind us that yes. Um, and two, I'm glad you you know mentioning celebrities only because it's sometimes it's easy to forget how hard that is. And that, and that, and then we get down on ourselves and think that they have it easier, or it's because they have, you know, mega talent and you're like, I'm not in that class. And I was reminding someone the other day that believe it or not, like, it's easy to forget Ryan Seacrest had two giant flops before Huge. he got yeah. American Idol. And as somebody who, you know, I was casting and I was at VH1 then, and I, you know, we would actually had many meetings with him. And he had a number one radio show in Los Angeles, which is huge. I mean, and he was a big deal. It's like most people after the, that, and it was kind of publicly embarrassing, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the industry is watching you. So it's not, you don't quietly flop on, on a you know syndicated show. I just feel like right. that was a big deal. And a lot of people just would have crawled back, if you want to put that way, to their million dollar year gig already. Right. He had amazing persistence. I mean, yes, the so, same way he had a dream, like somehow I, I, you know, I, I want to be, have a build an empire and, and totally. have suits and, and never sleep or whatever it was. It was like his dream that was calling. That's just so amazing. But the fact he did it not once, but twice. And I was like, holy cow, like so, whatever that drive is, that's amazing. So Barbara, when I, um, so I, so when I met my now husband, I was living in Los Angeles. I was working at the E-Network and he and I were long distance for two and a half years. 
And um, after two and a half years, we were both like, is somebody going to make the move? Is somebody going to finally come here? And I did the craziest thing I ever did in my life. And I packed up my stuff from Los Angeles and I moved here to New York. And I wasn't getting a lot of gigs. I was, I was auditioning for a bunch of stuff and I wasn't getting anything. And a friend of ours who was a producer for The Match Game with Alec Baldwin on ABC had said to me, hey, we think you'd be great as a contestant. Why don't you come on the show to do that? And I, I was like, oh, this is great. This will be amazing. This will be, maybe this is the stepping stone I need to sort of, you know, get my face out there and people see me. And, and Barbara, I did terrible like so bad on the show, like like epic flop on national television, like so bad that so many friends of mine that I graduated from like middle school and high school, that was their first time they had ever seen me on television. And it was so embarrassingly bad. And I thought to myself, oh my God, this was my moment on television and I'll never get this opportunity ever again. And that was <laughs> that was the one time I had. And this is basically the that will be on my tombstone for the rest of my life is my performance on the match game where I have Jason Alexander making fun of me the whole time. But something inside of me knew that like, that, that can't be it, that can't be it. And, you know, if this is my last moment, if this is the only, this is my only moment on this planet, why not? give everything I possibly have to make it work. And so weirdly, a friend of mine had sent me a New York Times article about this startup called Cheddar um, that was really in its infancy. And she said, you know, they're, they're into business, they're into stocks, it's probably not your thing, but you know, worth a try to, to, to try it. And um, I remember going on my audition at Cheddar on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, and I remember thinking I bombed on it, like bombed so terribly because they were asking me business questions like, you know, what's the market? You know how to, you know how to predict the market or, you know, when things are good or bad in the market. And I was like, I don't know. Green is up. Red is down. I don't know. And Barbara, I got casted for it. And now almost seven years later, thousands of gas stations later, <laughs> a myriad of co-hosts, but a morning show and a primetime show you know, I'm still here. And, and if anything, it's, it, it's amazing to sort of, it gives you sort of the reaffirm, the reaffirm, being reaffirmed that yes, this is actually what I was supposed to do. And yes, I am talented and yes, I do deserve to be here. And yes, I do have a voice in all of this and maybe I am good. Maybe I'm terrible, but maybe I'm good. At least somebody thinks I'm good that I'm paying the bills. And that's honestly like the greatest feeling in the world because it, all of that, being told no for so long that persistence finally felt like it paid off. Mm. And, you know, just having watched you through your years. Yes, cheddar, exactly. But I was also, I mean, just how much you've grown and stepping into in some beautiful moments and also the political coverage that I just think. You've helped a lot with that incredible. though, Barbara. So well, you're very kind. But I, what I meant is just to really like when, uh, again, instead of shrinking back going, oh, I don't know, I'm in over my head. You're like, I'm going to learn everything there is to know about this topic. And there's, and I've seen you like step into breaking news situations. Yeah. I've seen, you know, intense and, and, and the political coverage being incredible and then being able to shift in, in a heartbeat and then talk about some of the funniest things I've ever seen and just some of the funniest moments. A, um, a wise woman by the name of Erica Jane on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills once said, <laughs> stay yes to everything. And that weirdly has always stood by me, by the way, you know, a thousand other things that she's done. But um, that has always stood with me because 
Barbara, I had no experience in politics. I had no experience in news. I had no experience in anything that was like hard hitting. I couldn't tell you anything about business or markets, but I knew that if this was my opportunity to do something that I I wanted to do my whole life, then I was going to become the best political reporter, business anchor, breaking news person on the planet. If I had, I bought, when I got hired at Cheddar, I bought, I probably spent $300 on books for my Kindle to tell me how to, to teach me how to read the markets and what was the Dow and when, you know, all these other like weird sort of things. That way I would become the best business anchor I possibly could. And then one day they said, hey, we need you to cover all this stuff about Trump. You know, like I didn't know very much about politics, but I threw myself in it to, and learned as much as I could because if this was going to be my way to stay on television, then I was going to do the absolute best that I possibly could. And so it, any sort of opportunity that arose for me, I was going to say yes. I was going to say yes, because you never know what that opportunity as a result brings after that. Oprah famously said, life is all about basically the next best choice that you do. Everything is about choices and decisions, but what's the next best choice that you do? Because that's going to spring into so many different things as a result of that. And by saying yes, that was the best choice that I possibly could have ever done. So part of this was your persistence pays off and you get in the door and then you have, I want to say a lot of humility because you were always like, honest, like this is what I know. This is what I don't know. So uh, ego's not getting in the way. And then you're incredibly adaptable and then they have a phenomenal work ethic. And funny enough, you know, your co-host, Henna Doba, said I something very her. similar in her career though, too, was, you know, get, creating opportunity. And then when um, being able to step into that opportunity was like, listen, I mean, you know, her, she, in her example, she said like voice lessons and doing all these things just to be, uh, better on air because she was really grateful for the opportunity. She was going to make the most of what she got. Barbara, going back to what I had said earlier, I actually think the greatest thing that has helped me sustain my career was actually weirdly my radio experience as an undergrad in college that I didn't even really want to do. I wanted to be on television, but the television station didn't have a spot for me and the journalism department didn't have a spot for me. And so I did radio. And if anything, that has been one of the greatest assets for me because I can enunciate particular things in a script better. I can hit particular things in a script better. When my producer is counting me down to a commercial break, I know exactly how to get out of a break on time perfectly to nail that hit. And it's been sort of this weird sort of cosmic thing that I'm so incredibly grateful for. But at the time, I was devastated because it was like, nobody's going to want to hire this guy that, you know, is, you know, working in radio, you know? Wait, you know, just as you said that, I actually want to acknowledge something that that I've witnessed with you that is really powerful. And I want people to know because, you know, there's a truism, I'll say, that we're really supposed to focus on one thing at a time. And I do actually believe in that. And yet television is all about multitasking. I mean, it just really is. And to witness, you have a gift. And I think everyone should try to hone this when they're in the host position and you're talking and you have interviews and guests is that you are the ne plus ultra when somebody walks into your orbit and they're coming to do the show, you are so welcoming at the same time that you were talking to your producer at the same time that you were thinking about um, what's coming up next and what do I need to know at the same time you're leading everybody on the studio floor. And to me, 
you know, hosts are leaders and you always demonstrate phenomenal leadership and always make your guests feel so welcome, which is oh. one of the ways I think you get such great interviews out of people. Oh, Barbara, that's so sweet. Thank you. I, that's, that's funny you say that because you, when you were saying that, it reminds me of this time when the queen died just a few months ago, um, we were getting breaking news that she officially had passed right as we were sitting, Charlie D'Amelio's father um next to me for an interview me and hannah actually for that interview so i'm having to communicate with him while getting breaking news about the queen in my ear about to go live to tell everybody about the queen's death while having to communicate with mark d'amelio about what's happening with his segment and immediately then turn after the the queen after we announcing the the queen's passing to then interview him on a completely different topic i mean you're right in many ways it's it's kind of like being a point guard in a basketball game because there's so many different things that are happening and you're trying to get everybody else involved and the, and you're also trying to do it without the audience knowing that, that it's happening. Thank you. That's the exact, I, I pointed out all the time and, and just did it now because when you do it seamlessly and you make it look so easy, that is part of your job. I think, um, you know, I think Gail King's really great at it. She's great. Um, and, and so I just think that the people who do it really well, you don't notice that it's happening. So you're thinking like that job isn't that hard or why do they get paid? Or, you know, I could do that. I'm like, well, this is what you got. This is what it really requires. So I never thought totally. about it. it. It's you have to be a point guard. So go watch game tape to understand what the, what exactly. the job Exactly, right, right. I want to ask you a couple of questions as, for anybody listening to who's, you know, trying to break in or to um, get to the next level in their career. Cause that's part of also what you talk about. It's like you get to some place and then the funnel gets narrower and it gets more competitive right. and persistence is extremely important there and self-belief and, and being grounded. But what's the fine line between persistence and being a pest? Ooh, this is a good question. Um, this is a really good question. Cause I always wanted to know this answer, especially when I was in college when I would be submitting applications, um, weirdly enough at E, I, I tried for two plus years to try to get an internship at E and I would start months in advance, just like emailing any random person that I could possibly find through Google to try to see if they could connect me to whoever was handling the internships there. And that's sort of, it's, it's hard because it's like, you don't know if you are pestering people or if you're just being persistent but I would say, I think if, even if you are pestering people, they remember you. <laughs> and yes, while that does sound like that's not like a, really an answer, they will. Re they, I will say, very few people that continuously email me, um, I will always get back to them. And, and and it turns out the people that I always pester eventually begrudgingly get back to me as well, <laughs> even if it's to say, nope, sorry, everything's closed. I think at the end of the day, I would rather annoy them with one or two emails a week. Just that way I'm always on their radar. That's actually really well said. I would I would just add to that somebody who's often on the receiving end of those emails yes. is that um, tone. Yes, tone matters. is huge. So it's like be polite. Yes. And I would say follow-ups can be short, absolutely short. Just, hey, just checking in. Just wanted to see if you saw what I wrote below. Keep it short and pithy. You don't have to write like a novel every single time. 
Or never write all, a novel, unless you're really writing a novel. a novel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> unless um, you're a novelist. Yeah, and I've learned that, by the way, from uh, your, your chat with Bev Bat Perry uh, from Innovative Artists, who famously said on your podcast, uh, if it's too long, she's never going to read it. So you have to basically write as short as humanly possible. So every email I send her now is like three three words or less. That's actually a great note too for anybody who's doing interviews, because again, when you're new and you're starting out, I always want to point out to people that, um, you know, as you're the interviewer and having the restraint go on is a really, yeah. really powerful response. Really tell us more. Yeah, but I would say though, if, if somebody has not responded to you for a while and you're worried if you've pestered them, maybe you have to move on to another person. But the, if you've ever hit like a roadblock with one particular person, try to find somebody else that can connect you maybe to that person or to somebody else. Like there's another avenue to get to where you want to be. I think a lot of people always just think it's this person I need to communicate with. And if I don't get this one person, then I'm in trouble. And that's not the case. There's so, I've, I, I learned as a good reporter at E. You know, there's a thousand different ways to get a story and a thousand different ways to break a scoop. And if there's one way that you continuously hit roadblocks on, find another road to get there and whatever is going to get you there. So, okay, so E is a perfect example. I I had dreamed of working at E. Like I grew up in the 90s. It's obviously a little bit different now, but I grew up in the 90s and early 2000s when like E! News was the place that you went every single day to get your entertainment news. It was the best place for red carpet coverage. It was always breaking these scoops. And because of social media and how the entertainment industry has evolved, you know, there's a lot more outlets now than there than there were back then. So I made it a point that I was going to get my foot in the door at E! So for literally every year for, for years, I would send in my resume and emails to any person I could to get at E! And I never got the internship. I never did. Um, and weirdly enough, there was this story. I don't know if you remember the Bloom Boy story, which was this story with this family who was, I think, on trading um, spouses or, or trading spaces or something. I think it was trading spouses. They were trading something. Yeah, they were trading something. <laughs> um, famously, allegedly had their child in a balloon that was like up above in Colorado, but the kid wasn't in the balloon at all. Um, and this got national attention. And this this incident happened out, you know, near my parents' house in northern Colorado. And I saw E at the time was sending their chief correspondent, Ken Baker, to go cover it. And so I tweeted at him and I said, Hey, can I take you out for a cup of coffee? I would love to just pick your brain. And he responded. He he literally responded and he sent me a DM and he told me where his hotel was at. And he's like, I have 10 minutes to have coffee with you. And that 10 minutes turned into a two and a half hour conversation that then eventually got me a better like contact at the network, which then down the road got me my first job there. And so it, it's crazy how things work, but like all those people I was trying to get an internship from who were, I was clearly annoying and pestering, that route wasn't getting me anywhere. So I had to find a different route. And thank goodness that this story happened, that they sent this reporter, that I was able to get him as opposed to the people that I was trying to get earlier. Okay, I love everything you just said about that. You know, one thing that you always have to remember, because it's hard when it happens to you, that the roadblock isn't necessarily a no, it's a redirect. It's what you just Correct. said. It's a redirection. Right. That's incredible. I also do want to throw out there because to your point of persistence, I have a dear friend who spent four years trying to get on the Today Show and finally did, you know, and became a 
contributor. Mm -hmm. And it was that mm -hmm. persistence. And that persistence was very much about the other way to reframe this, as I wanted to say, was it was about relationship building. That's another way of yes. thinking is like, I'm developing a relationship with this person. And maybe I just want to throw it out there as a strategy too, that when you're when you're persisting that sometimes, you know, maybe every now and again, like send something nice. I don't even mean about gifts, but it's like, Hey, congratulations on this. Or like, wow, yep. I just read that you hit your sales goals or um, the debut or you wow, got a promotion, really whatever, exactly that you're paying attention and that you're treating this professionally. That goes a long way actually. And then you kind of answered a question. I was want to ask you about the connection between when you're feeling, uh, when you're feeling stuck, how persistence can help you get unstuck. And so one of the things you, you know, you just addressed obviously was if I'm not hearing back or if I'm not getting anywhere with persons, you know, A, B, C, mm -hmm. and D through, you know, M, what's the second half of the alphabet? So that's one way of persistence. Was there anything else that you thought about? I've always been on the assumption that if you want something bad enough, you will do the homework to figure out how to get mm. it in there. So for me at E, it was, I'm going to find all these producer names. I'm going to find, you know, a desk assistant. I'm going to find an intern. I'm going to find through the power of Google, which has everything, a name. And if you could find an email address on Google, even better. And like, yes, it might be random and weird that, you know, a, an intern's like, why is this person sending me an email, you know, that like is asking me for an internship. I'm sure that was weird for them when they got that from me. But there is always a chance that somebody might be a really good person and might say, hey, look, I'm not the right person for you to contact, but you should try this other person over here that would have a better idea about it. Because for me, as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, my mom was a school teacher. My dad was an engineer at Microsoft for, you know, 25 years. He worked at Hewlett Packard before that. My sister's a doctor. Like I have no family connections to this industry, like not, not even in the Denver market. So if I, if I wanted this bad enough, I had to do it on my own. Even my friends didn't have tons of connections in this industry. So I, I knew that if I wanted this to work, I had to find my own way to do it. And you just have to accept that some people are probably just going to hit delete on your email and, and move on. But there's that, there's that one chance that that one person that you send all these emails to might be able to help direct you to the right person that you're supposed to be talking to. And then that leads you to God knows what after that. Okay. This is what I want to know. Cause that was fantastic. So in your case, it was the one tweet. So I love yeah, that you're using all the resources open to you. The one tweet, what did you do walking in, say, prepare anything to turn a 10 minute coffee into a two and a half hour coffee? I sold myself. I, uh, because as I discuss with my therapist every week, I feel like <laughs> I feel like there is a healthy level of narcissism, and then you know, being humble and, and being a normal person. Um, there's obviously people on this planet who have unhealthy levels of narcissism, but I, Barbara, I know deep down in my soul that this was what I was put here to do. Like I've done lots of other random jobs, and this is what I I I knew I was put on this planet to do, and so. I had to sell that. And so when I met with Ken Baker um, at the Hilton uh, Hotel in Fort Collins, Colorado, I asked him tons of questions about how did he get here? That's the one thing I think if you get the opportunity to talk to people, they love they loved telling stories about how they got to where they are. So pick their brain, ask them every single question about how they got there, 
who else could you talk to? This is what I want to do. And that's the other thing is tell people what you want. People don't expect that people are going to know what you want to do. You need to tell them. Uh, I can't tell you how many times friends have reached out to me, you know, saying that, you know, they, they were looking for jobs and how would I know if they were looking for a job unless they told me. And so it's, it's, it's the same thing here. You have to tell people what you want. And so I said to him, I've wanted to be an entertainment reporter my entire life. This is where I'm at. I'm in grad school, but how do I get to where you are? This is what I want. Um, and he and I just like stayed in touch for a long period of time. And it was weird, Barbara. I ended up, it was another year later. I still had another year left of school. And I just would send him emails occasionally on a story that I saw he did because um, I got his email address. And I was like, oh my God, I love this story. This was great. This was great because I didn't want him to forget me for, for a year. I, I mean, I, a lot can happen in a year. He could have met somebody else that could get a job, whatever. So a, a year goes by and um, uh, nothing was really materializing between me and E. And I decided I was going to do another crazy thing. And I was going to pack up my car and leave Colorado and move to Los Angeles. And I was going to use whatever connections and contacts that I had developed over email and make something work. I had some friends that lived in LA and I was going to make it work. And two and a half months I lived in Los Angeles and I didn't hear from him for, for two and a half months. Like my emails went silent. And so part of me was like, Oh God, did I make a terrible decision? Should I have stayed in Colorado? And weirdly I got a job offer to go back to Colorado as a producer for a, 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 a local morning show. And I took it. So I would go back to Colorado. Um, I moved back to Colorado in my poor car and pack up all my stuff. And I'm in Colorado and I'm there for a week, a week. And he respond, He finally emails me back. And he says, sorry, it took me so long to get back to you. By the way, we have an open position as a legal reporter. Um, by the way, I have no legal background whatsoever, no law background. But he's like, we have a legal reporter position open. I think you'd be great for it. So I had to quit my job in Colorado after a week. That was a weird conversation telling that news director, hi, I know you just hired me, but I got to go. And I packed up my car, drove back to Los Angeles, interviewed for a job as, as, a, as a, a legal reporter with no legal background. But I, I said to myself, this is your opportunity and you have to get this. You have to nail this. So I spent nights listening to as much legal sort of like introductory stuff as I possibly could. I, I rented audio books, all of this stuff to learn about the most technical stuff about legal jargon. And I went to the interview and I nailed it and I got the job. And the next week I was covering Michael Jackson's involuntary manslaughter trial with Janet and Latoya sitting right behind me. It was, it was like the moment that I knew that all that persistence had finally paid off. Yes, you have to take insane risks. And as somebody who is very risk adverse, it's hard to sort of do that because you don't know what the outcome is going to be. And there's a huge chance you're going to fail and fall flat on your face. But if you want something so bad, you have to take those risks because you'll spend the rest of your life, Barbara, worried, should I have done that? And what could have happened if I didn't? Me going and quitting that job in Colorado and getting that job in California, Barbara, that was the smartest thing I've ever done in my life because not only did that lead me to E, but that led me to my husband. 
that led me to cheddar, that led me to having this conversation with you. Like this gets back to that whole thing I was just saying about Oprah. Everything you do in life is about what's the next best decision to make because that's going to spurn a whole new different tree of, of decisions you're going to have to make. And that was the best decision I ever made. Finally, the persistence paid off. You know, one of the things that's going through my head, and maybe for anybody who's listening, obviously you have just this incredible warmth and energy. And so one of the things that's easy to project onto you is that if you don't know you, is like, oh, that must have been so easy. Everything's got to be easy for him because he's just got such a winning personality. And yet you just shared a story of like triumph over such a hard journey, like your path you had literally you're from Colorado you had boulders everywhere <laughs> that's everywhere. really incredible yes, I, yes. I, I'm deeply inspired and motivated I was just like wow but but and but this is at this point in my life and I know that there's going to be so many more challenges ahead and that's just like the sort of that's you can apply all of that Barbara to not just your career but other aspects of your life as well just the, the boulders that you're going to do encounter in all different aspects of your life and how persistent and how thing, it, how you want to change different aspects of your life, how persistent you are, will be the difference between you moving those boulders and not. Wow. And I, you know, and you actually said something really great, which was, the, especially we get into the idea of like having to tell your your boss of one week that you're leaving. <laughs> was, but, 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 but having- She hung up the... on me, if you want to know. She hung up on me after that. So <laughs> needless to say, I'm never getting a job in, in Colorado or local news again. It wasn't meant to be because what I was going to say no. is you ha you asked yourself the right question. Well, how would I feel if I don't do this? And then I mean, and that's a classic co you know coaching question about a lot of things. You know, will will this matter to me in five years? Right. A lot of times when we're in the middle of facing something, we're like, yeah, I don't. Maybe it's not the big deal. And this one's like, no, this is a life moment. Like I would if I if I don't do this, I think I'm going to regret it forever. Absolutely, it's so true, Barbara. And like. I, I, I am an anxious, crazy person. I don't want to deal with the regret. I have enough stuff to deal with. Last thing I can deal with, I can barely figure out what I'm be watching on Netflix later, let alone having to like the regret. Wait, oh, wait, I want to go back because it's not a regret. It's right, led to something. Is when you were talking about being on the game show with Alec Baldwin, I oh, yeah. realized, I actually think you'd be a great game show host. I would love that, Barbara. I, mm -hmm. I, I have a, I have inside of me, uh, I, I have, Growing up with years of watching The Price is Right, um, a, a, and I'm a Jeopardy fanatic, I, I never miss an episode, I would love that. Here's the thing that I think is great about my personality, and I think this is what makes me unique as, as a talent, is um, I think for so long, I think broadcasters were sort of told to kind of stay in a lane. If you're a news person, you know, do that. Also, don't reveal too much about yourself. Because growing up, I mean, there there weren't people openly gay, you know, like eccentric, you know, personal, personal people like me on television that were news personalities. I mean, it, it was only until I was, I think it was in college when Anderson Cooper finally publicly came out of the closet. And it wasn't until I was in college that even Andy Cohen sort of became on our radar. Like all of this was sort of like new within the last 20 years or so. And so I think for broadcasters, it was always like, if, if you could maybe host like another show in addition to your new show, that was really sort of amazing. But Ryan Seacrest was sort of like, he was in his, he was sort of like on another planet because he could do all of these things. And then this kind of changed when Michael Strahan got on Good Morning America, because finally you could have a former football player who didn't have any background in news, 
who could host a red carpet, who could interview a politician, who could, you know, like do absolutely everything. I mean, literally the last week, a couple of weeks, Michael Strahan, I saw him interview Prince Harry, did a red carpet. You know, he's selling like a, a men's clothing line. He's doing his game show, the, the what, the Million Dollar Pyramid. And that has sort of opened the doors to more people doing that same thing. Now you see every game show host is a lot of times somebody that you know. Sarah Haynes is on, you know, she hosts a show on ABC that's a game show now. So in many ways, I feel like what's your personal brand? And my personal brand has always sort of been making people feel good. I've Even if it's in the most dark, depressing, sad story on the planet, I still always wanted to be that person that you felt comforted hearing that information from and also somebody that you enjoy watching whatever with at night. And that could be a game show. It could be a pop culture show. It could be a red carpet. And I think people just gravitate to, to people who make them feel happy. And, you know, Michael Strahan makes people feel happy. And, you know, um, lots of hosts. Ryan Seacrest makes people feel happy. Andy, and, and Andy Cohen makes people feel very happy. That's why they watch him every night. And so I felt to myself, how can I sort of make Baker Machado that in all these different aspects too? Can I make somebody feel happy while they're getting the political update? Can I make somebody feel happy while they're getting their morning news update? Can I make them feel happy while I'm talking about, you know, something ridiculous the Kardashians did? Um, I'm going to answer the question for you. Yes, Baker Machado, you can do that. And that goes back to (laughs) how much I love your political coverage, because I always felt I I remember this so distinctly with the pandemic and it's miserable and you're at the Iowa caucuses and 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 it's actually informs everything you do. But there was this feeling there was no place you'd rather be than right there, right then at the Iowa caucus telling me about it. And therefore, it's like I was like, there's no place I need to be right now, except for like watching Right. Baker shared right. this information and it's that incredible exchange of information and energy. Um, and, and I was like, this, that's it. That is, that is what we do in a heartbeat. It's, it's that level of communication and exchange of energy. You are just, I mean, I knew you were a delight, but I mean, you are a delight. <laughs> but I've always, I've, I, last thing I'll say on this, cause I know you have a bajillion other questions. I've always felt it, with my guests on my show and my audience, I've always looked at it like it was my dinner table at my house. Like my husband and I, one, because we're major Ina Garden Barefoot Contessa fans, we mm-hmm. love we love a good dinner party. We love inviting our neighbors or our best friends or people that are very different, you know, all to our table and having a good meal and having a great conversation. And that's always how I've always felt about me on television. I wanted my guests to feel like they were at my dinner table, but I wanted the audience, the person that was watching me, to also feel like they were at the dinner table too, because I want, I always have this feeling as, I I want people to feel included. I, you know, as the weird gay kid growing up, you know, who wasn't included in a lot of things, I always wanted to be included in so many things. So I always made it a point that no matter wherever I went in life, I was always going to make my audience, my guest, my director, my producer, the janitor outside, feel like they were part of the conversation and they were also at my dinner table. Oh gosh, I love it. I have to leave it there, which is, I know something you say on Cheddar all the time. I, <laughs> um, I want to thank you so much. You're oh, back I love days. this. Let's this do is, this again. We are doing this again. <laughs> and then I, to the, and to everyone listening, I want to say thank you. 
And um, if you're interested in one-on-one -on -one coaching or helping to get from where you are to where you want to be, reach out to me via my website. Please be do sure it. to download. You have to do it with this woman. She's amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Baker. And I was going to say, please be sure to download my free ebook, 12 Tips for Success on Camera. And as always, please be sure to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already.